All right, Soul Fam, we're coming in hot with this one. Welcome to Ceremony Circle Podcast. I'm your host, shaman and author, Allison Charles. And today I sit down with one of my dearest friends. We've been sisters for many years. I was maid of honor in her wedding. You probably already follow her deep wisdom bombs on Instagram or magical twerking on TikTok. She is best-selling author and host of Highest Self Podcast, Sahara Rose. In today's Vibey Chat, we dive into a topic we're both really passionate about, passionate to the point that her most recent book is all about it. She also has a coaching institute all about it, Discovering Your Dharma. Dharma is your soul's purpose. So you've definitely heard me talk about this on Ceremony Circle if you're an avid listener. You just hear me refer to it as your calling or soul's calling. And the road to discovering your dharma is not always easy, but trust me, the initiations always add depth and power to your ultimate teachings. So today, Sahara shares about some of her most challenging steps and also shares helpful tips on if your family thinks the dreams you're going for are bizarre, strange, not worth it, how you can stay the course while healing your lineage all along the way. Now, I feel that aligning with your true calling and dharma is perhaps one of, if not the most powerful experience you can have while on earth. So if you are ready to finally reveal what your dharma is or go deeper with it or learn how to support others in discovering theirs, huge news. Sahara is co-founder of the Dharma Coaching Institute. It's a 16-week deeply transformational program where you have all sorts of principles and tools and practices for abundance and success shared with you. Now, they are opening doors to this season's certified class, and the doors will only be open from now through November 7th. And when you use code ALLISON, That's A-L-Y-S-O-N, my first name, code Allison at checkout at dharmacoachinginstitute.com. You will receive two complimentary shamanic journeys and meditations to support you unlocking your soul's magic and power and purpose. And their premier graduating class, it sold out in just a few days. So if this is resonating, jump on it. You can only get enrolled in between now and November 7th. So just go to dharmacoachinginstitute.com. Remember to be sure to use code Allison, A-L-Y-S-O-N at checkout and you'll get those two free shamanic journeys. I am so excited for all of you who lean into this most powerful work. And without further ado, let's dive into all things Dharma with Sahara Rose. All right. Woo! It's all happening. So excited. Sitting here in Austin, who would have thought? Yeah. You know, and who would have thought that I live here and that you have this incredible new business founded and birthed here too with your two business partners who also live here? Like what's going on? It's amazing when you just align with your dharma, with your soul's purpose, how much things can shift in such a short amount of time. Mm. It's that quantum leaping energy of things that you think would have taken X number of years can take minutes, seconds, like a momentary realization, which I know for you guys coming to Austin, even it was like such a quick decision and, you know, creating Dharma Coaching Institute, it's like almost like these decisions are years in the making, but it's finally that like awareness and permission and action that I really believe right now that's what's happening right now. We're moving so much faster 
and career switches, moves, relationships beginning and ending, these things are just happening at such a quicker level because there's just no more time left to waste. Yes. Oh my gosh. Bingo, bingo. Just breathing into that. And I totally agree. You know, I'm constantly mystified and so present to the miracles and wonder that get woven into your life. It's truly so astounding when you let yourself finally get out of your own way and get into that alignment of that greatest, deepest desire on that most ancient level that your soul has. And once you get into that place, like you just said, things can just like lightning bolts, you know, realizations and transmutations and all these, all those beautiful things can come in, but it can take getting into the alignment. So actually where I would love to start with you because you've gained such mastery of this are all the layers before (laughs) that alignment, because I don't know, I mean, I'm sure on your podcast, highest self, you've talked about this, but I would love for you, or maybe you haven't. So I would love for you at the Ceremony Circle fam, let's really go back to some of those greatest challenging moments and initiations and fires you had to walk through. Because I think sometimes from the outside perspective, people could look at someone like you and think that you've had it easy or you haven't had to like really transcend some monumental things. And I know because you're like a best friend of mine, I know what you've had to go through starting at a very young age. So I would like to take it back actually to some of your lineage things and some of those pieces. So just whatever's bubbling up. You know, I really don't think anyone had it quote unquote easy. Like every single person that you look up to that you even know their name for some work that they're putting out into the world that's positive, of course, they had to give things up. They had to face really difficult aspects of themselves. They had to have really hard conversations. And it's not just for themselves, but it's also in their entire lineages. So in my lineage, my my mom is a refugee and my dad is an immigrant from Iran, Iran. Um, people are like, Iran, what's that? I'm like, Iran near Iraq, near Afghanistan, the axis of evil. Um, so, so my mom fled her country on foot and, you know, faced a lot of the traumas that happen when you literally leave your country because of a war and revolution and have mm-hmm. to hitchhike your way through the Middle East into Europe and get asylum in different countries and eventually made her way into the U.S. I mean, that's like a journey of going into the scariest, most unsafe possible layers of experiencing earth life, really. And that's why I really have so much compassion for refugees and immigrants all around the world, because it really is for the hope of your dharma, for the hope of a better life in the future. You risk your life right now. You know, like, for my mom leaving Iran, like in Turkey, if they found you as an Iranian refugee, they would gang rape you and kill you. Both of my uncles were in political imprisonment, tortured for over a year by the Turkish government. So in my lineage, I've seen firsthand what it looks like to risk everything to live your purpose for a better future. Oh, God, I feel like I just got like a lightning zap. Yeah. So... And then beyond that, my grandmother now, so my dad, he actually moved from Iran right before the Iranian war and revolution to go to MIT. And he was like a child prodigy in Iran with like math and science. And he had a really tough childhood because his mother was in a forced child marriage with his father, my grandparents. So 
My grandma was about 11 years old when this forced child marriage happened to my grandfather, who was about 27 at the time. And growing up, she would always and always tell the story of just, she was playing outside with her sisters and her dad had just done a business deal with this guy. And he was like, thank you so much for this business deal. Which one of my daughters would you like? And your grandma heard that. Yeah. Well, I, or maybe he told her after, but she was given as like the contestion prize of this business deal. So she was like literally crying so much the night before the wedding, like, please don't make me go with this stranger man who was always in and out of the country because he was doing like international trading at the time. And like, I've, I've never met my grandfather. He died before I was born, but he was a very like self-sourced, you know, I don't even know the words for it. Very entrepreneurial man. At the time, he had basically taken a lot of the unused uniforms from World War II and bought them and brought them to the Middle East. So he was like a huge, hmm. became, he grew up um, actually as like the market boy, like a bazaar boy, like selling things in the bazaar and worked his way up to become one of like Iran's biggest entrepreneurs. So again, like it's so beautiful to also see like in a way you could see him as a villain in that, but then on another way you could see him as like almost like this incredible figure of what it looks like to live your purpose. And it just mm -hmm. kind of, it kind of shows you that everyone is operating from the level of consciousness that they know. And whatever is like a social norm at that time is what will happen. So like at that time, this was normal. Like child marriage was normal. It was normal to like use a woman as commodity and give them because you did a business deal. Do you know about how old your grandmother was when that took place? 11. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But, you know, one thing that I do want to share is before she passed away last year, she was about 94 years old when she passed away. And luckily, like her joy of life never went away. And she would always tell the story about this trauma. And in a way, it was, I think, very positive for her to share because it was not in the shadows. She would, she would talk about it and she was like, these men completely used me and like I never had real partnership. And she would always talk about that. So, so brave. Very brave. And she was like, you know, he died when she was about 27 years old. So she was like a widow from 27 onwards. And when you're a widow in many Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern countries, your rights, your money, everything is taken away from you. So she had a very, very traumatic life. But um, I studied women's studies at VU. It was like one of the classes that I took for international relations, Boston University. So we were studying child marriage and I brought her to Boston University of and course. she gave a talk <laughs> in English to all of these people and uh, shared her story in front of like a classroom of people who wanted to hear it. How and it was healing like, for her. So healing. And it was just, it just shows like, and right now on the, on, we're in a hotel in this wall, it says shadows, but it's like the shadows coming to life, mm -hmm. you know? And like, there are so many women like that whose stories go unt untold. And I'm so grateful that she was brave enough to continue to share it and share it and share it. And like, she was so happy that she got like the microphone for the first time oh, and her God, voice and her story cry. wanted to be shared. Yeah, it was very, very powerful. So oh. yeah, in my lineage, it has a lot of female suppression and, you know, wounds like that. And I'm so grateful that I was born in the U.S. and I was the first person in my family to be born in the U.S. But as we know, ancestral trauma doesn't instantly leave. Mm -mm. There is a lot of fear of, you know, the government's going to get you or people are going to get you or like whatever's going to happen. So like there was a lot of this, like, don't, don't show people your success. Like don't show people this. And then also a lot of the conditioning of the best thing a woman can do is to find a rich, successful guy to support you. So like even growing up, like part of me was like, 
my soul was this like super spiritual humanitarian, like traveling the world, like super into being a witch, all this stuff. But then the conditioning I was getting was, oh, well, like career women, they abandon their families and then their husbands leave them. And, you know, the best thing that you can do is just like focus on looking pretty and like being well-mannered. So it was so interesting for me because like in my soul, I carry so many properties of both of my grandparents, like that entrepreneurial energy of my grandfather, but also that like, I'm not letting any man control me and like feeling that of my grandmother as well. And that that's also that encoded piece that you got before you incarnated to ensure that you would be the shifter for your life. Exactly. Yes. So basically, I, like many of you guys listening, am a lineage breaker and all of the things in my lineage that needed to be healed. I signed up in this lifetime to just go straight into them. And, you know, one of the major things was living my purpose because no woman in my family has ever, even man, I would say, has really ever lived his purpose of what he desires. I would say most of the men were acting out of the conditioning of money and success, which I would say most men still are. And most of the women no no woman in my family ever has even worked, you know? So for me, I was torn of like, is me going after my career going to lead to a life of me being like alone? And, you know, like Hillary Clinton was like that kind of energy that my mom would put in my head of like, you're going to become so masculine and no one's going to want to be with you. But then I did have just this deeper yearning in my soul to like, be a creator. So right there, bookmarking where you're at with this voyage, it's so beautiful. How did you learn to feel and trust that deeper thing that goes against pretty much everything you've been taught and that's cellularly within you from the lineage stuff? Where did you feel it? And how did you trust that, that point inside of you? So it was never like an instant knowing. It was always a dance. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. So like throughout my life, I would find practices such as yoga. And then Ayurveda, I moved to India. I studied Ayurveda for two years in India. And like these practices, ecstatic dance, they like open up layers to your soul. And like in those experiences, you feel that you are meant for so much more. Like, so for example, with, with, dance specifically. Like when I, for the first time, when I went to an ecstatic dance, which for those of you who don't know, it's basically this like dance floor that the only, the only rule is no talking. So people aren't like dancing like they are at a club or at a dance class. They're just, there unleashing through movement. Yeah. It's very artistic and yeah. Yeah. And very cathartic. Mm -hmm. So for me, this was around when I was um, 23 and in Bali and you know, my journey's kind of long, but long story short, after India, I bought a one-way flight to Bali and I was there for a period of time, just like deconditioning a lot of these falsehoods that I have been taught. And ecstatic dance was one of the things that really helped me because I would feel such like anger and frustration with my parents, but then also feel underneath that was this guilt. And there was so much guilt present in guilt my Guilt around what? guilt around my parents sacrificed so much for me. They did so much for me. So I need to be what they want me to be. Mm, okay. So right there, I mean, cause this is, I know, um, again, cause I know you so well, like this is a most potent nucleus or because as you were in this dance of two steps forward, one step back of, dipping into that deep soul place and that intuitive knowing, but then questioning and taking that one step back, 
in what part was it during your time in India where you started to sense some of those real conversations coming up where you were concerned that your parents were going to, or were already starting to disown you a little bit because Mm -hmm. you were choosing this very unconventional, scary path to them. Mm -hmm. Where did that start to surface, this disownment possibility? Yes, (laughs) the disownment possibility. So essentially, when I was in college, I went to college feeling like I was going to be an international human rights lawyer, and that's what I was studying. That was the path that I was on. And that felt good to them. That felt good to them because it's like a stable profession, right? So they were like, you know, again, like maybe she'll do this and then like marry someone or at least it's like a stable path that we could like see where it's going. And like for a lot of immigrant families, it's all about like doctor, lawyer, engineer, et cetera. So then when I was in college, I started to really shift and it was first through yoga and then I started going to India and then through yoga, it brought me to Ayurveda, which brought me to deeper spirituality. And then that like inner savior complex that I had from like being a child and seeing all these wounds of the world of like, I need to save the world and like be the person to save it. it, They started to be more replaced with understanding the world and understanding consciousness and like, why are people creating these human rights atrocities? Why are people perpetuating this? Instead of creating a campaign of like, let's not kill each other. Let's understand like why this is even in the field. So it was like my consciousness was ascending to see things from this higher level perspective, but there is no direct profession you can sign up for for this. These are things that are being created. And then in that process, the universe further nudged me into that by giving me a health issue. So in that period of time, I lost my period. And at first I was like, oh, like, great, I don't have to get my period. But then I didn't have my period for about two years. So in that period of time, I just became obsessed with learning everything I could about how to heal my body. And then from learning how to heal my body, body, that brought me to Ayurveda, which again, brought me deeper into consciousness and the mind-body connection. And I that's when I first got the hit of, I need to help other people like me who have hormonal issues. I had digestive issues, anxiety, a host of things, but it was all under one imbalance called Vata, air energy that I was like, there are so many young people just like me who could really use this wisdom. And as you're gaining this wisdom, are your parents aware of some of these shifts? And is the concern starting to percolate up inside of them at this point? Yeah. Like I started a blog, but again, they saw it as a hobby. So like as long as it was a hobby, they were okay with it. But then when I graduated and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this full time. Like I'm going to write a book on Ayurveda. They're like, wait, what? Like you're, you're, what the hell? Like you're not a doctor. You're, you don't have your PhD. Like who are you to write a book on these things? Like, like we let, we gave you too much freedom. And like, this is what you've became. You're taking advice from hippies. And like, you're supposed to take a stable career path or get married. Like we're afraid for you. I mean, they couldn't say we're afraid for you, but that really was, was what it was. They were afraid that I would take a risk on something and end up not making it and end up homeless or joining a cult or like whatever, whatever, like the the fears people have about taking a spiritual path. So as I was going deeper and deeper into that path, their ways of trying to stop me were getting stronger and stronger. So at first it was like, no, you can't do this. Like, who are you to do this? We gave so much to you. But then when I would continue, Continue to do it and eventually like stayed in India and eventually went to Bali and then 
everything I would do, I would communicate and express with them of like, I'm studying with this shaman and I'm at this waterfall and working with these Balinese healers. And they were just like, you have lost your mind. They actually thought I was mentally insane. They wanted to send me to a mental institute because of the things I was saying, such as like, we're all unified in the conscious field. They're like, the fuck are you saying? Like, you're smoking some, you know? Were they trying to get you back to the States? Oh my God. Like every guilt tactic they could use of like, you've ruined our lives. Like Mm. we can't eat, we can't sleep because of you. Like after everything we've done, we sent you to camp. We did this, you know? <laughs> like We did all these things right. We did all these things right. And what did we do wrong? How, why do we deserve this punishment? So what was hard for me and the reason why it was a dance was it like wasn't just about me. It wasn't just about me living my purpose. I felt like I'm hurting and destroying the people who gave me life, lives, by doing this. So then a lot of me is like, is this even worth it? Like, I've never even seen anyone actually live their purpose before. Is this some like bullshit story that they tell you like, follow your dreams. And then like you get older and you're like, no, 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 you need to get a nine to five job. Like that's some Santa Claus shit. So I didn't even know, like, am I like risking my life and my family for something that isn't even real? And that's what they would tell me. They were like, no one likes their jobs. This is just what life is like. Like, this is delusional. Like, who do you think you are? Like, you're not a celebrity. You're not like... Basically, the way that they, in their perception it is, it's like the type of people who love their lives are like the Justin Bieber's of the world and the rest of us have to suck it up. So like the sooner you can wake up out of it, we're saving you time. And again, I didn't know if that was true or not. So there were times that I would ecstatic dance and like feel my full frequency and know it was my purpose to help bring Ayurveda to the world and especially to young women like me. And then I get a text message from my mom that I'm ruining her life and I'm just like, fuck it, maybe I should just get a regular job and move back to Boston or anywhere to not put them in so much pain. So what kept you going? So I think what kept me going was continuing to come back to the practices that would open me up. You know, when I would just like, you know, after being in Bali, like I could feel how much tension and pain I was putting them into, which is kind of funny now. I'm like, how's me living my life ruining your life? But like, that's actually how meshed a lot of immigrant families are. It's just, you know, it's, it's a tribal way of living. Like they've all live, like everyone in Iran lives with like their extended family, same within India and many parts of the world. So for them, it's like one person's decisions are inherently connected to your decisions. So Eventually I came back to Boston, but I would continue to like, even in my front yard, do like a shamanic shaking practice and like, you know, journal and all of these things. And it just kept the fire going. And I think a lot of us, we let that fire go. We, we go on the yoga retreat, we have the revelation, and then we just go back. But I kept that remembrance going. And eventually it got to a point that I actually had this fight with my dad that I write about in Discover Your Dharma. And basically what happened was I told him I'm going to go back to India and I'm going to like lead this yoga retreat. It was going to be the first retreat I had ever led. And he was like, I can't believe after all of this, like you're going back. And he's just like yelling and getting so like, just like angry Just at his wit's end. Exactly. He doesn't know he's running out of possible tactics. Exactly. Exactly. So for them, exactly. That's it. This like, they don't know what to do. They just want you to be safe. So Mm -hmm. they'll do like whatever extreme they can go to, to do what they believe will keep you safe. So eventually it got to this, this fight that he's just like, you're a loser. You're a failure. You're the scum of the earth. I want nothing to do with you. You are not my daughter anymore. 
And I remember going downstairs to like my childhood, like toy room and seeing all of the toys in my room, like the dolls and stuff I would play with. And I'm just like, and I was just crying on the ground. And I'm just like, is, was my whole life a lie? Like, why did they even send me to school and tell me to believe in myself? And again, follow your dreams when like, here I am doing it and I'm dead to them. And then this wave of just almost like numbness, like nothingness just like washed over me. And I stopped crying and I realized, well, if I'm dead to them, then that means I get to live for myself. And from that, this like feeling of like unfuck with ability came through of just like, like a realization, like, wait, they actually don't control my life at all. Like, why am I living my life for so like, what, like, did they bring me into this world? Like, oh, now she owes us one. Like, no, I'm a sovereign ass being. And sometimes that like veil needs to be lifted to actually see it for what it is. And I'm like, okay, the worst thing that could have ever happened being disowned has happened and I'm, my heart's still beating. So that was the level of permission I needed within myself to just be like, yes, I'm going to India. And I went. And in that period of time, I just dove even deeper into writing and my practices. And at that time I was a health coach and that's how I was supporting myself. And I realized I don't, I don't need their support. I don't really need anything from them. Yeah. I mean that death, because that is a very hardcore version of a death mm-hmm. led to your true birth and mm-hmm. your true self and doing what you know you needed to do. So what a collapsed uh, Phoenix rise kind of situation. Exactly. Extreme, exactly. And then after all of that transpired, it's like they didn't ever really want to not talk to me again. It was just like that was their only like language that they knew how. That was the only piece left. <laughs> exactly. They're just like, oh shit. Like, so basically after that, I just tried to figure out everything I could of like, how do I write a, like, how do I first of all write a book? How do I get it out? How do I get it published? Like figuring this all out on my own with like no money. Like I didn't even know an author. Like I was completely on my own. And I did. Like I wrote, I wrote the book. And then eventually I figured out how, you got me a literary agent. And I finally I sent it out to like 30 literary agents and you know, went through the whole process and I got rejected by all 30 of them. But I just knew like this book is meant to be on the shelves of Barnes and Nobles. Like I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And create content on social media and on YouTube. And I'd learn SEO and I'd learn how to blog and I'd learn this and I'd learn that. And I just devote all of my time and resources and take con- taking continual action nonstop. And I think that that's what a lot of people are missing is like they have the dream, but then they don't take the action to back it up. So it's like, not only did I have the dream, but I'm just like, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know this or something like this is going to happen. So flash forward, that, that book I had written got rejected by all the different publishers. But one of the agents I sent it out to, she was connected to the Idiot's Guide group who writes like Idiot's Guides to, you know, gardening, Idiot's Guides to your car. And they were looking for someone to write the official Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. They told me like, we're looking for someone to write the first chapter. Can you write the first chapter so we can see if you can write in their tone? And I just went to Barnes and Nobles. I read like 20 Idiot's Guide books, stayed up all night. I wrote that chapter. They're like, wow, this is really great. Can you write what the table of contents would look like? Which is like a super detailed, like 16 page table of contents. That night, like everything I could think of reading all the Idiot's Guide books, wrote that table of contents. And two days later, I was, I was hired for that project. And then from there, I I wrote that book in two months. I only had two months to write it, start to finish a 400 plus page textbook on Ayurveda, which luckily 
all of that time studying like prepared me for this moment. And then a year later, I was at a conference and Deepak Chopra happened to walk on stage and I like walked up to him and I shared him my book and I emailed it to him. And then he got in contact with me and wrote the forward of the book. And then like one thing to the next, to the next. And it's just that quantum leaping that happens when you're in alignment. Mm -hmm. So like that period before was so much uncertainty, but continuing to trust that fire and flame and be open to any possibility of how it's going to happen. Because writing The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, that wasn't my dream, but writing a book on Ayurveda was. And I knew, okay, if this is what source is presenting me with, I will give my all to it. And because I gave my all to it, then when I walked up to someone like Deepak Chopra, I'm not telling him, oh, hey, I have an idea for a book. I have a vision for how I want to change the world. I'm able to send him, here is a way that I've actually done this so you can see it. And he was blown away by the way that it was presented, that that made him want to lean into, you know, many different partnerships that we've had. And he's written the forward of all three of my books at this point. So I share that with you because again, like I've shared the story before, but I think a lot of people, you're not sharing on every single Instagram post. And, you know, and even today in my life, it's not like super easy with my parents and they still don't get what I'm doing. And they still try to convince me at this point still like, hey, are you sure you don't want to like, just like join a nonprofit instead? Or like, maybe you shouldn't put your face on the internet so much. Like they still have these same fears, but I've learned to not let anyone else's fears dictate my life. And along with, because I know, you know, you've, you've done you and your family, because I can't just give all the credit to you. You have opened up the doorway to healing, but they have said yes to a lot of things that have really astounded me. And so just honoring all of you, your brother included, your mom, your dad, and you, because while some of those fears still do come up for them, you know, there's those other moments too, like at your wedding, you know, your dad coming up to me and because he wanted to make sure his speech was on point and that you would feel good about it. And he's like, do you think, I can't do your dad's accent. I wish I could. I love him so much. But uh, he's like, do you think that it's safe to call a Sahara a guru? And I was like, <laughs> yes, go for it. Do. And he's like, yeah. And you know, so it's like, there's moments like that too sprinkled in where he does, he does see you sometimes and he does want to honor the guru Sahara and the spiritual teacher Sahara. And I think for parents, it's a lot easier for them to spill their pride over their children to other people than it is to themselves. Cause it's like to the child, they still want to be like the parent and the disciplinarian and like the advice giver. And a lot of them, like that's the only relationship they've had with their parents. So they think that's what parenting is. But like, I know they're super proud of me. And even though in the book I shared that story and it was, I had a lot of fear around them going back to them disowning me and going back to us not talking, but they were able to lean in and accept that that was part of my journey. And it's also my truth to share about. We all did family constellations work, which was very, very healing. And they were able to look at the relationship with their parents and how they may be, you know, continuing some patterns. So overall, like if anyone's in the situation of like, my parents don't understand me, what can I do? Don't wait for it. If I waited for all of this to happen, it wouldn't have happened. Don't wait for it. You need to just like be okay with living for yourself and just your vibration and seeing the transformation that you will go through will inspire them to lean in. But don't wait for that to do it because it's not a guarantee. 
And I think so many of us were just like waiting for everyone to give us the green light to take action on our purposes. And that's just never going to happen. Yeah. And before we pivot to any other, there's a few other categories I want to go into. I want to stay in just this like family unit of healing uh, place for another moment because that's one of the coolest things in all the years you and I have been close friends. I have just really respected, loved being witness to you, like you mentioned the family constellations, but I know there's been so many other, like that time at your place where you're all playing drums and shamanic instruments and like going into these legit healing portals as a family that, you know, I'm sure a decade ago, you probably would have never guessed could be a possibility. And it's, I've watched you do it with them a number of times, not just once or twice, but like at least a half a dozen times in different ways with different, um, with all of them together or individually. So I don't know what's coming up for you in terms of like tips to listeners. Of course, I know every path is unique and every family is unique, but how have you even opened the door or like created that space that allowed you all to play the drums together that night? Never stop showing them who you are. I see so many people, they're like, my parents would never accept me. So they act like a totally different person to their parents and their parents, they're like, I feel like my parents don't know the real me, but it's like, have you showed that to them? So throughout my journey, I would always tell them where I was at, even if they were angry with it or not accepting it. So for example, if I was getting really into ecstatic dance, I would tell them about it, even if they'd roll their eyes. But eventually you tell them out enough that they open up to it, that it would get to a point that, you know, they came over and I had the drums and I played like shamanic tribal music. And I was like, you're going to drum and we're going to dance and we're going to shake. And, you know, it's almost like you like chipped away so long that at this point they're like, okay, let's just give it a try. So even if you're not being accepted, even if you feel like they're not listening, just keep sharing. Mm, I think that is such rich advice. I even wrote the quote down because tweetable moment, hashtag good one. So now I want to show you for the first time. You haven't ah, held yay! it. I, I was waiting. Wow. It's so beautiful. So, I'm holding the animal power book. Yeah. So Sahara is one of the 25 contributors that I uh, you know, different spiritual leaders, teachers, shamans from around the world who I had share a personal story about an animal that changed the course of their life or, you know, provided incredibly potent medicine. So Sahara shared about the peacock. And I just feel like it's really significant to weave in and give honor to this peacock. If you want to, you know, and also just some of the keyword attributes about, you know, shining bright and self-love, like that peacock medicine is really symbolic of everything that we've already talked about for mm. your journey. Yeah. So the story that I wrote about, about the peacock to me was when I was living in, in India, I knew that it was time for me to change and to continue on my spiritual growth journey, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I got very, very sick and I was looking out the window and I'm in the middle of New Delhi, which is like a big city. And outside my window is this giant blue peacock staring at me, which I was like, wait, am I hallucinating right now? And it was an instant reminder to me to continue to express my full colors and to not feel like I need to dim my light in any way or hide my majesty and my fullness and my regalness and my love and my wisdom and my creativity and to not feel like that's too much or put myself in situations that people around me like can't handle it or think it's weird or judge it. And that's 
that's when I knew it was time for me to book that flight to Bali, which led to a full peacock immersion. So I continued to also love the peacock because just as beautiful as she is, she's fierce, you know, and you, you don't mess with the peacock because she's like, I'm here, I'm a goddess or God man, and I'm shining my light. And if you're going to disrespect me, to disallow me to shine my full expression, I will bite your ass. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that about the peacock because sometimes people think like divine feminine energy, et cetera, is like, just be soft and receptive and like go with the flow. And it's like, also it's to have that fire and to also speak the boundaries. So from that space in that container, you can fully shine your colors knowing. Amen. Aho. Yeah. Authentic truth, authentic shining. Yeah. Those peacocks aren't like only opening the fan of all those feather tail feathers, like a quarter of the way or halfway, like they're letting that full fan, that full majestic fan open as far and wide as it can. And they shimmer and shake them around, dances with them. Like they are not afraid to put their full colors, power, light, uh, and, and wisdom too. Cause you know, if you think about the the pattern on those tail feathers, it's, it's like an eye, like a third eye, you know, tapping into your intuitive power and knowingness. So there's so much medicine just with that one creature alone. Oh, and this book, guys, I'm holding in my hands. It's so potent and beautiful and, and rich. And I feel like I'm in a jungle, like going through it with these colors. And I'm like, my body's like shaking just from like being in it. So you guys, this book is so magical. Animal power, go get it now. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you so much for being a part of it. And I didn't want to show it to you or have you hold it until right now live in this moment so I could see what conjured up. And that's been my favorite thing is to witness people feeling the true medicine Mm. that it embodies. So, yeah. And I love like the pride that you hold in your book and that's so important. And I think for, for so many of us, and I, and I believe many listeners have felt called to write a book and like writing a book for me, like was my spiritual growth journey. It came through that journey of writing a book and like feeling so called to like share your wisdom in this way that it could be like passed along without you even being there. And like, that's really what a book is. It's like, people don't realize a book is an act of service. Like you're not really getting paid. Like every money that you get for a book, you're putting right back into it. And even losing some. So a book is, and it's like, you can get a book for free at the library. Like it really is. Don't write a book thinking it's a get rich quick scheme because it's like the longest endeavor, like the most like soul excavating, but to me and to you and to those who felt called to it, it's crystallizing who you are in a moment of time and allowing that crystallization to be passed along and experienced to others to activate whatever metamorphosis is inside of them. Mm -hmm. And that gift I know how much books have shifted me in my path. So for me, being able to be part of that, to to have this like tangible thing someone can hold in their hands and open up and reading the words like feels like this like recognition of coming back home. Like to be able to provide that to someone, like that was what kept me going. So I'm so just happy for you to like be stepping into that next level of your initiation because out of everything I've done in my life, it's the most gratifying thing I've done. Yes. I thank you. And for sure for me too. I mean, yeah, worked on it for about four years and of course many lifetimes in the making and just the way the animals came to me and asked me to co-create this book. And I was starting a different one and moved it over to this and just like every component of it. And the, the artist William passing away right after he got done with all the animal art and just 
there's just been so many challenging, unexpected, initiatory moments of birthing this one book. And it's so profound and so deep and meaningful. And yeah, I, I like I said, my favorite is seeing people open it up and receive the transmission. And it is a, the greatest labor of love. Like the joke is uh, amongst some of my author friends, like, the goal is to try not to go broke in your book writing journey. It's like, yeah, there's this misconception. Yes, there are, there are there can be hardy book advances, but you're working on it for so many years. Like that book advance ends up equating out to like what a yearly salary or whatever would be or smaller. And yeah, it's a, a huge labor of love. So speaking of books, let's talk about yours, Discover Your Dharma. You know, now that we've painted such a detailed picture of your personal voyage. And I'm sure things are sparking up inside of the soul fam sitting with us in the ceremony circle and they want to lean in more. So what are a couple of the, the main tips that are coming up inside of you that you can give to some people from your book in terms of like taking those steps to get into this alignment place? Yeah. So when I was writing the book, I kept thinking about that version of me right before stepping into my purpose and like everything I wish I could have known. And now like looking back, putting the pieces together. So I've created, I'm a Capricorn like you. So I've created all sorts of frameworks that people get to really work with and plug into. And like guaranteed, if you do the work of the book, like you will discover your soul's purpose. And also it gives you a lot of the, that strength and that unraveling of any limiting beliefs that are preventing you from taking action on it because discovering it is the first part it's embodying it that's the second but there's there's a couple of frameworks and you can tell me which one you're most interested in like opening up one are the five stages of dharma discovery so the stages that people go through another one are the dharma archetypes so these are the different archetypes related to your purpose and another one is the dharma blueprint which gives you kind of an actionable focus to direct your dharma towards Either the archetypes or blueprint. Okay. So I will share about, I'll share briefly about both. So the Dharma archetypes came to me when, you know, for me, archetypal work has been so helpful in my own journey because sometimes it's hard to see your own gifts, but to like see this like overarching archetype, you're like, oh, well, if I'm that archetype, I must also have these different aspects of it. So I've studied many different types of archetypes from like, soul ages to Michael, T, uh, which is part of Michael teachings to the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and even astrology, human design. These are all archetypal systems. And I came up with these nine archetypes that are related to your dharma. And when I say the word dharma, I mean your soul's purpose, the big reason why you're here. So it's not just your career or your job, but it's more the overarching resonance and frequency that your soul has to everything that you your bring to the table. Your soul's calling is the one they hear me say the most. Yes. Here. Your soul's calling your mission. So there are nine archetypes. So for example, one of them that we both share is the visionary. The visionary is here to bring people to the highest vision. They are here to channel and share their ideas and their wisdom and to inspire. So it's not just telling people what to do, but it's rather bringing them to a higher calibration so they can understand that for themselves. Allowing them to stretch out of comfort zones or to bust out of boxes. And is this the one where understandably sometimes or oftentimes we're looked at as crazy because we're we're leading to different realms for people. Crazy and even hated, you know? Look at many of the visionaries throughout history, like Martin Luther King. He said, I have a dream. Just him saying, I have a dream that black and white people can sit together at a table was enough to get him shot. 
you know? So it's like visionaries are mostly not accepted in their time because they're speaking to future timelines that a lot of people hold resonance and fear against. So if you are a visionary, you do feel called to share through your gift of communication and your ability to express the intangible and your work is around being okay with people not liking you because you're go if you wouldn't be a visionary if everyone already was was living their lives that way. So I know so many of our conversations has been like moving past that and not letting it hold you back from being the visionary that you're here to be. Now, as a visionary, there's so you could channel into books, podcasts, speaking, teaching, art, music, even architecture. There's so many ways that it can channel, but it's always going to have that visionary element to it. Yeah, where it makes people feel something they've never felt or think about something in a way that they've never thought about. And I like the architecture example, actually, like when you go and see a building design that your eyes have never taken in before and you're just like, whoa, you know, it's like it conjures up a lot, the visionary Mm -hmm. energy. Exactly. So the next one that we both share um, is the teacher. So the teacher is here to impart knowledge. So a teacher can be anything from a spiritual teacher to like an algebra and a history teacher or a sex teacher or whatever else. So they go through life learning lessons and the way that they transmute it is to then share that lesson with someone else. So for some teachers, they do it in a very large scale way online, um, on stages. For some people, it's like very one-on-one, but a teacher does love a group. You know, it's a little bit different than a nurturer, which is another archetype I'll go into, which is very one-on-one and connected. Teacher wants to be like, teaching systems, teaching philosophies, teaching patterns that people can plug into and move along. So if you look at Dr. Joe Dispenza, he is a visionary, but he's also very teacher to him that he like, he, he's not there to be like, let's inspire and see the world in this whole new way. Like, um, for example, like a Martin Luther King energy would be more like that, or, you know, so many like Preston or Tony so many Robbins. people, Tony Robbins, exactly. And, and we all have multiple archetypes. So like someone like a Tony Robbins is like, visionary warrior. So Dr. Joe Dispenza, he's very like teacher researcher. So he's Mm, like really like, he's like has the whiteboard and he's like teaching you the tools for you to apply to yourself. So the shadow aspect, and they all have shadow aspects and light. The shadow aspect of the teacher is to be disconnected to the people you're teaching from. So it's like, we can all think of that like history teacher we had that like everyone's asleep in the class, but they think the information is so important. Because they love it so much. They love it so much. (laughs) So it's very important for a teacher to, it's not just about what you're teaching, but it's about how it's landing. And like times are changing so much that like, even like less and less people are reading books these days. So it's like now we've all gone on social media and we get on TikTok and it's like for the teacher, you have to be adaptable to how people are learning. Otherwise, you're not really able to transmute your wisdom. I see so many incredible teachers, but they're like, well, I don't want to do the online thing. It's like, well, unless you can create another container for that, that's how people are receiving the information. So it's to be open and flexible to like how your teachings can actually land home with people. Good advice. So one of the next ones is the artist, which I think both of us have that one too. And the artist is here to bring beauty to the world. So for for the visionary, it's very about like raising the collective vibration. The artist is just like beauty. Like it doesn't even need to have a purpose to it. So if you think about like Frida Kahlo, you know, it's like, it's just a new way of seeing the world. And it's like, me, it can mean whatever you want it to mean. So the artist sees everything in life, like modalities they can create. So like they're going to go to a thrift store and like put together a really cool outfit, or they're going to go to a car shop and like put together a car. Like that's what artists do. They see the world as like different things they can put together and create art from. So Mm -hmm. they're very 
handy and crafty. They're taking in energy from a lot of different places. So they could be very, very sensitive, but they can also get very wrapped up in their emotions and maybe have a hard time of like separating themselves from their emotions. So we can look at many artists like Frida or um, Picasso, et cetera, who, you know, like chopped off his ear and we can see they like lost themselves in their emotions too. And, and sometimes they can be even addicted to pain because it's like from that pain that we often create the most globally resonant art. So for example, like a singer who just like keeps writing about heartbreak over and over and over again, because like everyone can relate to heartbreak, but it's like, how can you now write about taking people to a higher frequency? Not like we can all relate to pain. Can we all relate to universal love? So I think the artist's work is to not let themselves like get stuck in that pain body that has been their creative drive and find that beauty and that art from a more higher frequency. But again, you know, art art can exist in many, many different planes. So, you know, the artist will probably have like a beautiful Instagram feed. Everything they do is like to their style. Like Luke is super artist. Like he's so aesthetic. Everything he does is like he really, really cares about the detail because for him, if there's something in the room that's like off, it's like he can't take it because he's getting information in from all these different places. If this powerful conversation all about Dharma is lighting you up, you can connect more deeply with Sahara and your Dharma starting now. She is the co-founder of the Dharma Coaching Institute and doors are open for enrollment now where you can become a Dharma certified coach or spiritual life coach. Now when registering for this 16 week program at checkout, be sure to use the code word Allison, my first name, A-L-Y-S-O-N in the coupon area, as that's the only way you'll also be able to receive a free guided shamanic journey and meditation that I facilitate when you get registered. Dharma Coaching Institute allows you to not only get clear on what your Dharma is, but how you can also build a career around helping others and discovering their soul's calling, their Dharma. Registration is only available now through November 7th, and the last time they opened doors, it sold out in just a few days. So just head to dharmacoachinginstitute.com. Remember to put code word Allison, A-L-Y-S-O-N in the coupon area at checkout and you'll get a free video guided shamanic journey to meet your power animal and an unlocking your soul's power and purpose shamanic meditation. Life-changing tools that I want to give to you as a huge congrats for you saying yes to your true path. You can enroll at dharmacoachinginstitute.com now through November 7th only. Be sure to use code word Allison at checkout. Much love, soul fam. Yeah, so one of the next ones is the researcher. So the you have that. I do, but it's not one of my main ones. Like yeah. when I when I was hired to write Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, like my researcher came on like all the way, but it's like not what I like love being in, whereas some people like a Deepak Chopra, Joe Dispenza, like scientists, researchers, they love yeah. be, they love to be alone in their books. Like so the researcher is very curious. Curiosity is what drives them. They don't want to just like oh, the sky's blue and the grass is green. They're like, why is the sky blue? Like, can we show with like different types of research? Like, is the grass green everywhere the same quality of green? I don't like, have that at all, I don't think. Yeah, like, I don't I don't really see that in you. Luke kind of has that when it comes to like biohacking and stuff that's like more researcher. But, you know, thinking of like doctors and scientists and people like that, their happy place is to be 
fascinated by a question that no one else has solved. And for them to like, through their research and analytics and data, come up with the solution for it. And they're all about what is factual, what is analytical, what is rational, what can be proven to be true. Whereas like the visionary is like, I feel the truth in my body. Mm, like that, the researcher is like, can we quantify that? Like, can we show that with, with, through other people's experiences? And again, it's like, I think that's what's beautiful right now about spirituality and science is it's like really merging because the visionaries and the researchers are like finally coming together. So if you are a researcher, you are here to be curious and ask these big questions and allow yourself to do so. However, the shadow of the researcher is they feel like they're never ready because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So let's say the res- there's probably some researchers right now that have like the cure to world hunger or like all, all sorts of like huge issues, but they're like, I don't have enough research. I need more time. I need more time. Like for example, Charles Darwin's uh, survival of evolution took him 27 years to write. So again, sometimes it needs that. Like some, our society moves so fast. And what I love about the researchers is they're like, no, I need to take my time with this. I'm not going to say something until I can really, really prove it. But also knowing that you're never going to have every single perspective, every single data, every single point of information that you need because we're in this infinite universe. So sometimes you just got to know when it's ready enough. So the researchers really get to activate some of their more warrior energy to get out into the world. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Don't hold on to some gems. You've got researchers. Like if you get to a certain place, let us know what you've figured out. Yes. (laughs) What's the warrior about? So the warrior is here to protect and lead. So warriors are very in their bodies. Like researchers are not in their bodies and artists are not in their bodies. That's like much harder for them typically, whereas warriors are like body first. So you'll see them a lot in fitness, bodybuilding, CrossFit. You I think know? of like Vikings and like... Yeah. Like, I mean, if you think a lot of these like CrossFit, like paleo, like, you know, lots of them in Austin, like that's such a warrior energy. They're very like group souls. So they like to be in a group, in a tribe with like the collective, with their brothers and sisters around a shared mission or a cause. Like that's really what revs them up. Whereas again, like a researcher artist who I'd say is sort of the opposite of this. It's very individual, very on them. Might not even know what the purpose is. Warriors are like, where are we going? Let's go. I think charge. of all bear and sacred sons. Yes. And- that sacred sons energy, even like Aubrey Marcus really yeah. has that. Tony Robbins has that. So for example, Tony Robbins, why do people love him and they're drawn to him? It's not so much what he says. It's the energy that he brings. Like you go to a Tony Robbins conference and he's like coming out there with all this energy and he's like stomping on his, his chest and getting everyone in revved up. And then he has you walk on fire and it's like all this like fire, like pitta, like blasting warrior energy. And he's teaching you how to be in power, unleash your power within, be empowered, be strong. So that warrior energy really gets a crowd going and it like allows the collective to like unify and rise up. So a lot of people in like the police force, firefighters, military, but also I I do see, I mean, in, in all forms of careers, but especially in the fitness world, like a Jillian Michaels, you know, really has that warrior energy to them. So the beauty of that is like, we need, we always need that energy. We've always had warriors in society. It's a very ancient archetype. And the shadow of that is sometimes the warriors can be so quick to charge that they don't have the full picture. You know, it's like when your friend is like, oh, this person was mean to me. And you're like, who's that bitch? I'm gonna call them up. You know, and it's like, well, maybe you didn't know what your friend said. And, you know, so it's like taking a moment. Is this worth my energy? Do I want to be in this battle? Am I able to close this battle if I do open it up? And like, 
really choosing that. Otherwise, that warrior energy can like, you know, start sword fights with all sorts of people. Yeah. And then they have like 10 people sword fighting them and doesn't know where to put the energy anymore. Is this even my battle to fight? Exactly. Like, okay. Wow. I'm sure I can like feel. I feel you have some warrior in you. I do. Mm -hmm. I definitely do. And I can also feel like the listeners and I can, I can sense that this is um, really helpful to them because mm -hmm. I can tell they're getting pretty clear just from listening to you share like which ones they are. And I have a quiz too people can take dharmaarchetypequiz.com. It's a free quiz and people can find out but but yeah, most of us like intuitively we know and, and there's a couple others I'll I'll close them up but it's not that you're just one and sometimes um different phases of your life require different archetypes. So let's say you're going through a divorce. You know, your inner warrior may need to come out. Like for me, my warrior was actually my least of all of the archetypes. But for me to be able to share my visionary and share my teacher, I needed to channel my warrior to have these hard conversations, to stand up for myself that now I'd say I'm pretty strong in my yeah, warrior, you are. but it wasn't not, it wasn't what was natural to me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, that's surprising because I know you so much with the warrior energy. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's like all of these archetypes we, we get to tap into and the one that you you know, are least connected to is really the one where your biggest work is. Because otherwise it's like I that. I don't want to be a researcher. But for example, you stepping into your researcher is what allowed you to write this book. It did. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, like yeah. it's all this research, but like, thank God it's for that because you were able to like now take all of this in your mental and air realm energy and like put it out into something that like someone else can just like get by reading, you know? So also, it doesn't mean that you have to become that. I'm not saying now go become a researcher, but if you don't address the least archetype, it's like a hole in your pocket that like no matter how much you stuff it up, it's going to be a little leak. But your main archetypes, the ones that you are born with are the ones that you should be like rocking full time. So I think for you, visionary and teacher probably, which are mine as well. So one of the other ones is the entertainer. The entertainer is here to make people feel, laugh, cry, think, ponder. So the entertainer gets lit up when they are in front of other people, whether it's on camera, on stage. Think of Jim Carrey. You know, they literally morph and transmute into different characters that they can almost like walk into a room and feel what energy is needed there and adapt to it. I feel like Luke has entertainer too. I think you even have entertainer as well, but like your entertainer is a lot more like you, whereas like a pure entertainer is like an actor, mm. you know? So thinking of Jim Carrey, he literally like morphs and he's like all these different like characters at once. But what can be difficult is like sometimes you don't just don't know who you are because you're playing all these different roles and all these different characters. And you're so tuned into what do people need? Do they need to laugh? Do they need to this? Do they need to that? Ah, that they're like, well, who am I? Like sacrificing yourself. And that leads to addiction because you're there's a part of you that you just don't know. So you numb yourself. And that's why so many entertainers suffer from different forms of addiction. If you look at in Hollywood, so if you are an entertainer, even if you're not acting or, you know, singing or something like that, but you know you have that, it is so important to channel that energy. Whether it's like you go to an improv show, you sign up for like your local comedy club, you put up videos on TikTok, whatever it is. Otherwise, that energy can turn into like you trying to like, like take over conversations and like be the entertaining one. And like, you know, the, the person at the party who like, won't let anyone else talk because they keep needed telling jokes. Or they have to be the loudest one so all the attention shifts to them. Exactly. I see that a lot. Exactly. So that's like their entertainer like wants to be on stage, but it may not have a place that it can do it. So it's just like looking for that. Yeah. So for me, like 
entertainer is not one of my highest ones, but I definitely have some of that. But it like channeling it through TikTok was so fun for me because I got to go back to my like inner child that wanted to act and do skits and and try on different roles and be funny and have a place that I can channel that energy. Whereas I'm not needing to entertain every single person that I meet. And and sometimes we do carry that shadow of like, if I'm not funny, then people aren't going to want to be around me. So I know a lot of entertainers, they almost feel like I'm not enough in myself. Or if I am not being the role that they want me to be, then I'm going to be ostracized. So it's to really like realize you don't always have to entertain people. You can be boring sometimes and that's okay. Right. Yeah. You're safe there too. Yeah. Wow. This was so amazing. So another thing that I would love to do, I'm a big fan of a lot of your quotes. And so that sparked up when I was feeling into our flow. So I went back to some of your tweets and onto your Instagram to pick out some of my favorite. There were a lot that stood out. So let me hone in here. And so basically all I want to do, this is just like a light little fun thing. I'm just going to read one of your quotes, um, either that's from your soul or from your book, Discover Your Dharma, and then just like elaborate a little bit on it, like what Mm. you meant by this. This is fun. Yeah. My inner entertainer is liking this. Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I did this one in all caps. So I'll read this. It's a quote, you aren't meant to be liked. You're meant to be weird. So when I was writing Discover Your Dharma, I literally had a dream one night that said that to me in my dream. And it also, the dream showed me the word, it was like wired and it was like German. And I was like, wired. It it didn't say weird. It was like wired. So I looked up the word weird and I found it had German origins. And do you know what the German word actually means? Destiny. Yeah. So here we are, like our society sees like weird as like an outcast, but like weird is like your, your destiny. Like you're here to be different. You're here to be unique. And I was always called weird growing up. That was like always the label, but it's like, you're supposed to be that. If you're not weird, you're not living your destiny. Boom. Leaving it at that. That was so good. This is fun. Okay. So these two go together. So I'm just going to read them back to back. The first of the two parts says, if you're triggered by someone else fully living their purpose, it's because you haven't fully claimed your own. And then the second one that kind of ties into that is, quote, you living your dharma is going to trigger the shit out of people not living theirs. And that's okay. Yes. So this has majorly happened to me. And I'm sure anyone who's listening to this can resonate of you stepping into your purpose and sharing who you really are and people just being bothered by it, triggered by it, or saying, you're fake. That can't be real because part of them can't even imagine being so self-aware and self-expressed. So to them, they think, well, this can't even be a possibility because the fact that it is a possibility means then I have the responsibility and the potentiality to also step into my full expression, which is too much for me to hold. So let me try to bring you down in whatever way I could, because that makes me feel okay with my lack of stepping up fully into who I am. Boom. <laughs> oh my God, this is so good. I love you channeling into these quotes um, that you said. This is so good. I'm going to do another one. I have like four others listed, but let me pick one more. Oh, there's. I'm going to do two more. It's There's too many good ones. Actually, this one's good for next. Quote, your dharma exists in your body. Tune in to listen. 
So many people look for their dharma outside of themselves. I used to too. I used to literally ask everyone I would meet if they knew what my purpose was. Like as if someone else could know what my purpose was, but but this is the result of our school system teaching us again and again that the teacher knows, authority knows, parent knows, someone outside of you knows better for you what to do than your intuition. Your dharma is encoded within you. You were born with it. You were set up in your DNA to be activated in your fullest expression. It's not something that you figure out. It's something you remember. Oh my Lord. I could do these all day. Okay. So these last couple also all weave together. So I'm just going to weave them. Uh, Living your dharma is the most radical act of service in 2021. The next one, if we each commit to living our dharmas, we'll live in the world we want to live in. And then the last one, which also goes with both of those, is your dharma isn't really about you. It's meant to feel good so you keep doing it, but it's really about serving humanity and raising the vibration of the planet. So many of us, we're asking ourselves this question right now of how can I change the world? How can I change the world? It seems like it's collapsing day in and day out. What can I do? The best the truest, the highest, in fact, the only thing that you can do sustainably and see the results for is to live your dharma. Because again, every single person was coded with the solution of the world that they are meant to be. So there is someone who is coded to help our oceans and someone else who is coded to help our children and someone else who is coded to bring music to the world and someone else who is coded to bring beauty and architecture Imagine if the architect was like, shit, I'm not helping the people in Afghanistan. And then the person who is supposed to be the warrior is like, shit, I'm not good at IT. And the person who's supposed to be doing the IT is like, shit, I'm not a good caretaker. And then we wouldn't be solving the world's problems in the ways that we were meant to. So let's trust that it's not about me trying to figure everything out and you know get to the bottom of every single world crisis that I'm presented with today but to actually really stay in my own lane yeah and follow that purpose that I was chosen for because the reason why it feels good to live your purpose is because we are all messengers and conduits of the divine that's like the reason why sex feels good is cuz our bodies want to procreate it's just the same reason why living your purpose and being in that flow, there's nothing like it because it's you being in your true essence. So let the joy be your highest form of service. It doesn't mean sacrifice. The energy of sacrifice is I'm responsible for all of the world's problems and now shit, now I'm stuck with them. The energy of joy through sacrifice or, or joy through service is i yes, there's this huge problem and I feel like I'm on the bottom of a mountain, but I want to climb it. Mm -hmm. And I'm inspired to find the right shoes and become a stronger climber and figure out the terrain and get to know this mountain, communicate with it and, and create this relationship with it. That is the only way you're truly going to be able to reach its summit, which by the way, will lead to another and another and another summit because your dharma is not a one-time peak. Yes, It's a mountain range. Yes. Oh, so good. Oh my God. Yeah. And what came up with that one, um, which is a, another little, um, I think helpful side note to go into. Well, it's much more than a side note, but it's, it's trusting in your lane. It's trusting in the line that you're here to hold. It's trusting in the space that you incarnated to anchor because in trusting in that, and when you're dialed into that, and like I preach all the time, you know, everywhere I have a place to preach, it's like rock star shaman. When I'm 
anchored into rock, great mother earth, when I'm anchored into star source point consciousness, great spirit. And then the, the heart, the shaman part of me, the truth in me, when I'm holding that line and connected into those places, I know that all is always well, and I am aligned and I'm doing exactly what I'm meant to be doing here. And there's no greater peace than that. There's no greater power than that. So can you speak to that a little bit? Because like we were talking about last night in dinner a bit, how, you know, and it's understandable because we live in this day and age of, uh, you know, social media and just seeing everything that everybody's doing, you know, oh, they're launching this program and this person's on their sixth book. And this one's now got a TV series about their healing work or whatever it's, it's everywhere. So sometimes it can conjure up in people who are wanting to align with their calling, the sense of like going fast or trying to do everything at once. And that is a dangerous place because that gets you out of that alignment point. So what do you have to say about that? Spirituality and Dharma is not about intuition, but It's not about information, but rather it is about embodiment. I can say all the quote unquote right things. I could have shown up today and said this exact same thing, but from a voice like this, from the mind of like, yeah, believe in yourself and live your purpose. And you'll be like, I can feel that you're not living that, but I'm trusting that people can hear in my voice how passionate I am about this because I've been living in it for the past, you know, 11 years that I've been now blogging in, in this career and have learned and learned and learned so much that really only dedicated time mm-hmm. can give you. Yes. And yes, we can quantum leap, but you can't quantum leap your embodiment. You can quantum leap in taking aligned action that gets you somewhere that you never have before, but it still takes that gradual process of opening up your nervous system to even be able to hold the next expression. You know, some people are like, well, I want to, you know, have a bunch of followers and, and have a big business and have this and have that. Even if it all happened, would you be able to hold it? Even if you had all the clients, the book deal to show that this Do you think that it would last based off of who you are today? Exactly. And that's such an important piece is that lasting piece, you know, and, um, yeah, I've got some people in, in my sphere who I really believe in and I can, and I know their genuineness and I know their, their true calling. And it's like, because I want for them to last and their teachings to be heard, it's like, it's okay to take a pause or to slow down to really make sure you're integrating and landing and doing that most important embodiment piece that you all hear me talk about pretty much in every single episode. I love that quote, you can't quantum leap your embodiment. So yes, you can get a lot of downloads and you can get a lot of information, but like really make sure you're being diligent, that you're walking your talk and you're doing that embodiment piece because that is the key and the resonance, the energetic resonance and people feeling you and and like being drawn to you and, and getting to, if you have a goal of being like a very high level teacher who's respected and renowned, you can't get there without the embodiment truly and be long lasting. You might, you might skyrocket there, but then something will collapse it because you're not holding it. And people can always feel, you know, 70% of our communication is nonverbal. And even with the internet, we can feel into even the energy that someone's writing a caption from or posting a picture from. And if it's coming out of, oh, I feel like this is the spiritual trend today. So let me look and play the part and say all the buzzwords, whether it's like Ascension and 5D or like whatever they're saying today, 
we can feel when someone's doing it from a mental constructed place versus this is a natural expression of who I am. And this is, and, and the way that we can really tell is, is this lasting, you know, because I see a lot of people, they almost have this, such a desperation to leave their jobs and, or whatever situations that they're in, they look at what's working, what's trending, what are people buying? Who are they following? So if that's working, let me become that. And they actually recreate the exact situation they were trying to leave. You, you're trying to leave your nine to five to be a, some sort of entrepreneur, but then you just created a jail for yourself because now you're being someone that you're not again. Yeah, you're not in that alignment place. So trust that it does take time and thank God is for that. Because in that time that you're having those conversations, that you're, if you're one-on-one coaching people, you're, you're actually learning your modality. You're learning how you would react in all these different situations. You're learning who you really are in this context before you create your method that you're then saying that this is the tried and true approach. You need to test that with thousands of people before yes. it becomes this thing that you can stand behind. And I just see so many people, again, they they take this like super personal development mindset of like, just keep taking action, just like keep going. And, you know, yes, take action. I am all about that. And it needs to be aligned and it needs to be constantly reflected back on of, am I taking this action just because I'm so afraid of what my life will look like if I don't? Or am I taking this action because this is the natural expression of who I am that I can't help but to not take this action? And you're also truly being divinely guided to take that action. I mean, that has been my biggest saving grace. And I mean, I can tell countless stories of like directives from great spirit where, yeah, it, it went against what, where I thought it was, I was going to go next, or, um, I was really in a, you know, powerful flow of doing like massive in-person events in the middle of New York city. And then all of a sudden I get a directive, like hard stop, like cease all events. And yet when I look back, I mean, it's, it really boils down to one thing, my trust in the directives of spirit and heeding them. And that has woven, yeah, at times it's been super unexpected and illogical, but it has woven the perfect miraculous web for me in my life that is filled with the richest divinity possible because I'm literally trusting in what it's telling me to do. And I'm not you know, forcing my way past that information and, and, and things like that. So yeah, it's, there's definitely a way to do all of this and you will be provided for. I mean, I lived in New York city on my own, you know, for a very long time and somehow, you know, I, somehow I, I found my way somehow I got through it. Somehow I was still able to make a living. So yes, part of it is fears will come up and that's part of the initiation of being on your dharmic path and your soul's calling path is to walk through some of those fires that hold your greatest fears and to learn how to navigate through them and to become a phoenix phoenix rising so before we get to your little mini ceremonial offering at the end i think i just want to cover one other category you know, let's go here since we're kind of already on this because I know a lot of people listening are healers and teachers. And so I'm curious from your perspective, because you are such a strong teacher, what are some of the top three qualities of a strong spiritual teacher in your mind? Well, I really think that each spiritual modality would have different qualities of what would make it. For example, 
going into the shamanic realm. It's really about your sovereignty and empowerment and ability to connect to earth and the root. Whereas if you're, you know, a, a channeler, I would say it's more about your receptivity and openness and fluidity. So, I mean, I guess like the overarching of, of all of them is connecting to truth coming from a place outside of you, not just my truth. I think this, which is like actually ego, but like something that even sometimes you're like, what? Like, is that actually how it is? Like, it might not even be what you want sometimes, but it's like you feeling that this is the highest truth for all. So having whatever practice is what gets you there, whether it's plant medicine, meditation, breath work, et cetera, but a continual practice to receive highest truth outside of your ego. Two, expression. The ability to let that be a transference to others. Because again, you can be a very spiritual person like a monk, but not expressing that, which is just a different path, you know? But to be able to teach it is, it's about the transmission that you offer, which is much more than verbal. It's an energetic transmission that every single time people hear you or um, maybe you're doing it through art or dance or something else, but people are being transformed simply by being in your space, Mm -hmm. in your field, not even physical, but hearing, et cetera. It's not what you say. it's It's the energy in between the words. Yeah, it's the medicine you carry. Exactly. I also think playfulness and to just not take yourself so seriously because every true profound like spiritual teacher I know has this almost like childlike energy to Mm -hmm. them of like, they also realize this is all a cosmic joke and to not take it so seriously and to be like, this is the way, this is the path, like do the work. Like, you know, to also like be able to connect back to your heart and your joy and your bliss and to not be so rigid in your approach. And, you know, like the Dalai Lama, as an example, I think why so many people resonate with him is like, yes, he's dealing with like, you know, major world issues and he brings such a lightness to it that you can also feel that he's like in the world, but not of the world. And I see that that to me is very powerful. Yeah. What was coming to mind when certain spiritual teachers, I mean, thankfully we're exiting out of the time of like the guru and living by and from, you know, what the guru commands, but that other side of what you're just explaining, you think is a good quality is yeah, a lot of the the fallen gurus who I think got so swept up in that title and just so many components, um, lack the lightheartedness, it can really lead to the demise of a lot of spiritual teachers. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely think, you know, and the feminine energy doesn't resonate with this guru dumb. Like the feminine has always known that we gather in circle. And like in a circle, which is your ceremony circle, which is your podcast right now, but like in a circle, everyone is heard and everyone offers their own healing and their own medicine. Whereas this energy of the guru, it's very hierarchical. And that's that, you know, patriarchal system that we're moving away from that's just not working because unfortunately, most of these people who are at top, I would say probably all of them have been men and they misuse their power again and again. And we're seeing this happen with so many people that were like, wait, I thought that this person was full of integrity and they're not too. So I think we have learned again and again that we can't give up our hope to any one leader at all, whether it's politically, spirituality, et cetera. And again, thank goddess for that because one leader can't be taken down or can't be misguided. But when we are all our own internal leaders and, you know, the word 
the word guru actually means a person who illuminates the path. So really the word guru in, in India, if you say it, it means teacher. It doesn't have the same vibration that the word guru does in the U.S., which is like we think of, you know, like a, a messed up guy who's like taking advantage of people. So it's almost sad, too, that this word has been like completely misused of like, screw the guru. But like you could have like a guru of astrology, a guru of yoga, a guru, et cetera. So I do still think teachers are important, but don't put anyone on a pedestal because everyone should stink. You know, mm-hmm. everyone makes mistakes. And again, it's sometimes we give up our own self-responsibility by putting our power into someone else. And then the moment they don't live up to the expectation we've created in our minds, they are the reason for all of our problems. So don't put anyone on a pedestal, including yourself, and realize that we're all still learning. Bingo. Perfect button to end on. Before we do your ceremony, is there any anything else when you tune in, either from your book or not, um, any other thing you wish to express? Well, I know that so many people in your community are on the path of being spiritual teachers themselves and are already doing it even. So first of all, I want to tip my hat to you. Thank you for stepping up into your soul's calling, even though it may feel scary. And I do believe that so many of us are here to guide others to remember their purposes as well. So something that I created, which or I'm so excited to be partnering up with you on is Dharma Coaching Institute. And essentially, if you have always felt like your purpose is to help others find their purpose, you've always naturally been that person who can see the highest potential for someone. And like people come to you and you're like, maybe you could channel this into writing or whatever else. And you've just naturally been that like life coach for your friends, but maybe you're wanting to make it your profession and to actually be able to take on clients and set up programs and create containers that you can step by step have all of the frameworks that you need to create a successful coaching business and help others remember their soul's purposes. Well, if all of this is resonating with you, then I invite you to join us in Dharma Coaching Institute. So this institute is completely online and it's over the course of five months and we'll be starting our next one again in October. And if you're listening to this after, we start a couple times of the year. But it really, beyond being able to help others to find their purpose, it helps you remember your purpose because you're going through all of the trainings and modalities and you're peer coaching with people and you know getting feedback. And it's so transformative because most of us have actually never really given this much thought. You know, It's like beyond like the guidance counselor at high school is like, which of these careers do you want? Most of us have never really sat in a, in a container really dissecting, why am I here? What obstacles have I gone through? How can I put together this red thread? Where is it guiding me? And now how can I use this to be of service through joy? And that's really what Dharma Coaching Institute is about. So I'm so excited that we've partnered up to include a really special discount for your Ceremony Circle listeners. And we have that link below. They can mention they were referred by you to receive that. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, as soon as this idea was sparked and you shared it with me, I just instantly knew I wanted to be a part of it. I was like, as soon as you bring on like partners or whatever, because like I've known you for so many years and just obviously respect you so much. Yeah. I I really only like to partner with people who I trust and I know they're embodied and we have been friends and gone through so much personally and professionally for so many years. There was just, I don't know, there was a very unique spark and fire that got lit up inside of me when I knew that Dharma Coaching Institute was going to be out in the world. And I 
yeah, so I feel really honored to be a part of it and to be able to open those doors to the Ceremony Circle fam. And like you said, they get a beautiful discount. And, you know, just having witnessed that first class of graduates, you know, already go through and, you know, just all that they gain from it. It's it's a really powerful offering. And I love Nita and Ajit, you know, you're, are they considered co-founders? I forget mm-hmm. the exact title. Yeah. But yeah, I'm also good friends for those listening um, with her two co-founders. They also live here in Austin. They're incredible. In fact, Nita has been a guest on Ceremony Circle and Ajit will at some point soon. I mean, all of you have just been through so much in life and just so generously share your wisdom with others to help empower and it's all come together in DCI. So pretty magical. And so, yeah, like she said, we'll share the link where you can go and check it out and lean into it if you feel called. And I'll have that in the show notes. I'll have it on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in the Instagram post that promotes this episode with Sahara. Okay. So as with every Ceremony Circle Voyage, we close the circle with the guest leading an offering of whatever they feel called to provide. So I do not even know yet what Sahara is going to do, but I am ready. All right. Well, we're going to do a little meditation opening to remember your soul's purpose. Mm. So I invite you to close your hands and place a hand on your, close your eyes and place a hand on your heart, a hand on your womb or hara or belly space. And just tune into how you feel right now in this moment. Feeling into any pings energy, excitement, percolations. Taking a deep breath in, hold and release it out. Now another deep breath in, Clench your shoulders, your face, your hands. Clench everything up. Clench, clench, clench. And drop, release, sigh out. Think how much lighter you feel right now. And again, inhale in. Clench up everything. Clench, clench, clench. Hold, hold, hold. And release it out. (sighs) Just completely unwinding, relaxing, relaxing the space around your eyes, your mouth, your jaw, letting your heart open. Right now, I will speak directly to your highest self, the part of you that knows. Calling upon this energy now, speaking to the part of you that knows. I will say a series of sentences and allow whatever comes to your mind first to complete them mentally. I love to 
I love to. People come to me for People come to me for I'm great at I'm great at My joy is My joy is I am here to be of service through I am here to be of service through I came on this earth to I came on this earth to My soul's purpose is My soul's purpose is I am here to I am here to I'm taking a deep breath, breathing that all in, letting it really sink into your body, and let it go, wiggling your toes and your fingers, 
I invite you to quickly write down or journal any thoughts that came through. It's so powerful to just take a moment to remember the truth that already lives inside of us. And sometimes living your dharma is much more simple than you thought. You know, sometimes we're like, I got to figure it out. It's this lofty title, but you may just be here to share love, here to be a spark of joy, inspiration. And that is more than enough. So thank you so much, Allison, for allowing me to be here in this space sharing with you. I'm so grateful to be living my dharma and to be able to express this with other listeners, to create that light bulb for them, to then continue to create that domino ripple effect of others living their purposes as well. Amen. Aho. Thank you for your courage and your steadfastness and just popping out here on earth with all your energies and all the Capricorn houses and all of your, you know, uh, what's the thing we were talking about last night at dinner that I always forget what human I am. Human design. Your human design, all yeah. the charts, all the things that you just, you, you know, signed on for, for yourself. So you can just pop out here and be this smart, sassy little firecracker that you are, you know, I just love, I mean, we're definite soul sisters and have so many past lives, but you know, I just always respect so much, like even though there's a pretty big age gap between us, like, I mean, we're so close and connected because you have developed this consciousness at such an early young age and just barely turned 30 and you're on book number, you know, five at this point, you know, including your card deck. And it's just, you've just accomplished so much so fast. And, uh, you just have so many admirable qualities about you being a true ride or die sister friend being one of them. So thank you for all your years Mm -hmm. of friendship and just holding it down for me and unconditional love and just holding space, you know, and all of our personal conversations and yeah, just all of the, the things that come up in life that we, um, support each other and, and transcending and growing from. So thank you. Oh, I'm so deeply grateful for the reflection. It has been so beautiful to witness you say yes to this podcast and to allow the journey to to take you and to bring on so many incredible guests and to continue to actualize and embody so many different forms of creativity and layers of medicine and healing that you're here to bring. And I admire how you are so willing to look at hardships and shadows and areas that are uncomfortable that people will spend their whole lives trying to avoid and how your soul is just like, I'm going straight into it. And I love that. And I'm so honored to be a soul sister of yours, knowing that the potency that you have and the truthfulness that you bring and that you also don't hold the back. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, thank you. Because that means so much for for me to be a friend of yours. So thank you so much for everything you bring to my life. Uh, oh, and thank you all for witnessing this little love fest moment of us honoring each other. And we, of course, honor every single one of you because it's truly a co-creative circle, every single one of these episodes. And, you know, I and my guests, you know, we really surrender in and just invite whatever messages, um, you know, are meant to be of greatest service. And so each one of you sitting with this 
conjured what came through today, you know, so we all did it together. And I loved how we ended with, you know, some aspects of your soul's calling can really be so simple because in one of the questions you posed about, I am here on earth to the funniest answer came in. It was like, make really great smoothies for people. And I was like, okay. And so now I'm more excited to get into our house that we've been renovating. And I had this beautiful vision, you know, of having people over and like being known for like the master breakfast time alchemist in the kitchen that makes the best matches and the best smoothies. And, you know, that does, even though I'm not a kitchen person and don't cook much, like when it comes to using the Vitamix and making like cool wizardy tonics and elixirs. I do actually like that. So super unexpected, you know, that, uh, whipping up the best smoothies in Austin came in. So thank you. That was such a fun and powerful meditation. And yeah, just thank you all for voyaging with us. You know, that all the information, um, are in the show notes, but just so they can hear it from you, how can they best connect? You're on, you are a big TikToker at this point, as well as your Instagram. So my website and my Instagram are, I am Sahara Rose. So you can find me there. And my book is discover your Dharma podcast is called highest self podcast. And if you're interested in becoming a certified Dharma life purpose coach, then I invite you to join us. We have the link below in Allison's show notes and we have the brochure, syllabus, everything available for all the information. We're so excited to welcome new Dharma coaches out into the world. It is so needed right now. You know, we're living in this time, they call it the great resignation because the most number of people are resigning from their jobs because they're realizing it's not in alignment with their purpose. So you future Dharma coaches out there are so needed to help people align with the right not just careers for them, but decisions for them to live lives in alignment with their truth. Like, you know, if you love to make smoothies, like that should be a part of your life, you know, and just taking all of these seemingly random elements and bringing it in. That's really what living your Dharma is about. So you feel like nothing is actually random, but it's all actually part of this big picture. So yeah, it's Dharma Coaching Institute, and we're so excited to welcome you there. Beautiful. All right. Ceremony Circle Soul Fam, we will sit together next time. Woo! What a powerful voyage that was. It is just my greatest honor. It brings me so much joy and activates and lights up my soul to be able to sit with these incredible, embodied, true spiritual masters and leaders from all over the world. I ask that you please, if you feel called, continue to support them and their work in whatever way that feels aligned for you. Please go to my website where all the show notes are listed, www.allisoncharles.com. That's www.allisoncharles.com so that you can access their direct links to their website and social media platforms and additional information about them. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle so unique is that at the end of every single episode, as you just experienced, we immerse in a powerful ceremony, ritual, invocation, prayer, spiritual song, some sort of activation that the guest feels called to offer on that day. So listen to your intuition. If at any point moving forward, you feel called to come back and re-immerse in this guided ceremonial experience, do so. Because I guarantee every single time 
you experience it, you will receive a new medicine transmission, a new awareness, a new awakening aspect within your soul. It has been an honor voyaging with you. Please keep the Ceremony Circle community vibes growing and activating. Find me on Instagram at I am Allison Charles. And let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Let me know how you are creating your own sacred Ceremony Circle space. Tag those in your soul fam who are immersing in the Ceremony Circle episodes and experiences with you. And let's unite in the next episode coming out next week so we can continue to activate the consciousness energies of planet Earth and the universes. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.